Hello, my name is Beverly Chandler and I'm Managing Editor of ETF Express and I welcome you to the latest edition of Off the Record, the podcast about all things ETF, brought to you by ETF Express in partnership with Trust Edge, providers of front, middle and back office software and services to ETF issuers. This iteration of Off the Record brings you Ernst Nack, a head of research at Shard Capital, talking about the firm's use of ETFs within an institutional and wealth setting, and Laurent Cassis, head of CEC Capital and a 19-year veteran of the ETF industry, known for trading with leading Delta One firms. Um, Ernst, I'm going to start with you. If you could tell me about Shard Capital's client base and the split between high net worth institutional investors and sort of average portfolio sizes that you deal with. Yes. Um, firstly, Beverly, thank you very much for uh, for having me on the podcast. Um, it's a fascinating topic and, and one I, um, I, I've become passionate about quite quite significantly in, in recent years. So um, Shard Capital started off uh, uh, just over a decade ago. Um, as a corporate finance brokerage business. Um, and over time, it's transitioned from this fee-based model to uh, the, the annuity type model where they uh, offer asset management services. They launched a very successful venture capital business um, about six years ago out of, out of Dublin. They have a, a private credit business here in London. And about three years ago, they, they decided to take a step into the investment management um, private client family office world. And... Um, I joined them from from what was quarter uh, quarter investors, and um, joined the team really to set up the the investment process, and and after that, uh, you know, head up the research function. And just tell me a little bit about um, actually, let's go straight to Laurent, and you tell me a bit about your experience in the ETF industry. Sure, thanks, Beverly, and thanks for having me on this podcast. This is uh, a great opportunity to talk about my one of my favorites. Subject. So I embarked in the ETF world uh, when I was a State Street Bank back in 2020, back in 2000, uh, and then I was doing portfolio trading, uh, which was very much helping uh, institutional investors to book their um, what's called really basket orders on the close, uh, which led to managing uh, large sums of, of money for passive strategies, which led very quickly to looking at what these passive strategies are. And most of them came from ETFs, at least they were starting. So we uh, ended up speaking with a lot of issuers and then I very quickly became involved in the market making of these ETFs. They were still very young, around 2005, 2006. I ended up working for a German bank uh, called HVB. They were the leaders in the index change product, uh, some of the first one that came to market in the European scene for institutional investors, they were fixed income. And then I became a, a fully fledged market maker, so Delta One trader for the ETF industry, uh, worked for companies like LeBranche and Bluefin, where we build up uh, an institutional base uh, client facing OTC markets and liquidity providers. And then I embarked into the world of cryptocurrencies, where I'm still actively involved in, in that space with uh, launching uh, crypto structures on the market. And, and um, what I wanted to ask you was within your shard capital role, how much do you use ETFs and when did you start using ETFs? So when, when I joined Shard Capital, one of the, the key the key foundations um, for, for launching our, our services was um, the launch of a, a subsidiary called LeafBridge. And, and LeafBridge uh, target market is, is US expats um, initially 
in, in, in the UK, but really anywhere in the world. And due to the US tax regimes, it, it is, uh, you know, effectively you are forced to invest in, into US domiciled funds for, for, for US investors um, outside the US. And the ETF structure from that perspective makes significant uh, amount of sense. And um, so, so we really got involved from day one, really, with, with Leafbridge being the first step for Shard Capital into that market. Um, and it, it's really, uh, you know, a lot of my focus has been on U.S. domiciled ETFs. But, um, you know, as I've got, gotten more and more interested in the market, obviously, it's, it's um, transpired into, into the European domiciled vehicles as well. And when would you use ETFs over another vehicle? Um, I would say when, whenever we can. Um, there's a few instances where it does not make sense um, from, from my perspective. Um, liquidity risk is, is a key factor, I, I believe. Um, but, but generally speaking, if, it's, if, if the two investment propositions trade pari passu, and you know, there's no difference between the two, you would, you would use the ETF. Um, and in the US, uh, the, the US market, um, the advent of semi-transparent ETFs, I think, is a, is a significant change um, for, for, for that world. And, you know, the 40 Act market generally, I think, will, will undergo significant change over the next, over the next decade. And Laurent, do you want to comment on that? Is that your experience of how people arrive using ETFs? Sure. Thanks, Beverly. So basically, the, the beauty of, of, of exchange-traded funds is that they are first and foremost low-cost products, right? And thanks to their unique stru structure, you're lit literally looking at uh, a rule-based strategy uh, that you you know you, you can have running much cheaper than if you were to invest in a basket of stocks. So for retail investors, you know you really are struggling buying a, a, a list of stocks because your broker will probably charge you quite a lot on on the custodian. So by having one share of a of a let's say a FTSE 100, you get instant exposure to the FTSE 100 universe, uh, and that reduces cost tremendously. And they are beautiful products for 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 that purpose because not only they are cheap to invest but they are a basket of stocks so you can have exposure to uh, a whole kind of, of universe Ernst just mentioned the us market so for any uh, uk investors they get instant exposure to the us market they may not know all of these stocks but the nice thing about it is it provides diversification so you may know your top 10 you may know maybe one in the middle and one at the bottom of a list they're usually market cap weighted so it gives you a very decent exposure to the to the market and for a retail investor this is it's, it's a great vehicle to um, to use and often misunderstood because um, people believe that you know when a market goes down the ETF goes down and then they they say well it's the fault of the ETF but it's not it's the fault of the underlying asset that the ETF holds and that's the vehicle that drives really the performance of that product so obviously you want to be buying uh, thematics you want to be buying precious metal you want to be buying uh, fixed income and these ETFs allow you to do that. So for me, they're, they're, they're great uh, products. There's a lot on the market. I mean, sometimes there's, there's an abundance of, of ETF available and it's difficult for the investor to select the right one. But ultimately, if you receive a pot of cash and you're not quite sure what to do with it, you don't want to have single asset exposure, an ETF is a great product to use. 
And do you think um, coming back to you, Ernst, are there unique risks to investing with ETFs as an investment instrument? Um, you know, d definitely. I, um, I I have to say, from from a passive perspective, I am I, I'm a believer in, in active management. Um, so so you know, there there is reasons why one need to understand the, the purpose and the objective of of your investment. Um, often it makes sense for for larger institutional clients to use these ETF products. Um, and you know, if if timing is, is is a concern, then then of course you know an ETF makes sense. Um, you know, specific to the ETF structures, I think there's a few basic rules. Um, you know, investors should use limit orders. I don't think they should necessarily you know try and avoid buying and selling at at market open or at market close. You know, let let the price settle. So those are those are a few you know basics kind of. Um, rules you know one ones when it comes to ETF investing but I think the biggest risk is probably liquidity risk you would you would not um, put any instruments into the ETF that that is illiquid um, you know so so as soon as um, the ETF becomes very small or very focused on illiquid markets I, that's that is a risk investors should probably stay away from and and comment on that for me Laurent if you would sure so Ensign is right, you know, the liquidity is a major factor. Um, remember that an ETF is as liquid as its underlying asset. So you obviously you want to be exposed to a basket of stock or fixed income that are liquid from the start. And you want to be also um, uh, agreeing with market participants such as market makers and authorized participants who are the people who can buy and, and create and redeem uh, these ETFs based on the demand in the market, you want to have solid partners with them. You want to have uh, a partner that can price the ETF intraday at a very tight spread. So when you buy in and buy out, you're not paying a huge, uh, a huge spread fee. But at the same time, you want to have a liquidity as well that is available. And most of the market makers will be able to do a great job there because they will be very comfortable with getting hedges and exposure to the underlying asset, which is key, obviously, for the ETF uh, to provide large sums of, um, uh, of units available. And this is what we're referring to, the liquidity aspect. When you and I go and buy these products, you want to be sure that you can come in and out at any time. This is the reason why they're called exchange-traded products, because they trade throughout the, um, the trading hours of a stock exchange. And they will be a able to mimic the underlying assets that, uh, that they hold. So what you don't want to have, for instance, is a, an ETF uh, invested in Japan when um, Japan is, is closed because you're going to have a much wider spread, of course, because the market maker will not be able to hedge himself properly and offer you a, a fair value. So there will be a, a larger spread and also maybe uh, less of a liquidity. So you've got to put these into context and you know some of the risk are there. All these structures of, of risk, uh, you, know, you also have counterparty risk at the same time. But for you know, most investors, they understand uh, these risks because they wouldn't be invested in them in the first place. Ultimately, again, um, you you have products that track various strategies. Some might be, uh, as I mentioned, a basket of stock, but some might be also future strategy, future contract strategy. And one needs to be very careful 
about how this strategy functions. So there's a big risk there because a, a gold future strategy may give a different performance than a spot gold ETF strategy. And so people need to understand the nuance be, between the two. And Ernst, have you felt well supported in your trading and use of ETFs? Because um, obviously you're doing this on a institutional scale. Do you feel you're getting that support and um, help, and particularly when markets are squeezed? I, I think so. You know, we've we've never um, we've never run into into specific troubles. I, I think um, a key a key factor for us is we've really taken advantage of the you know, the advent of active ETFs. Um, which is more of a U.S. characteristic again, um, you know, ETFs that does not track a specific benchmark, and and as I mentioned, you know, with semi-transparent ETFs that have that that have risen um, over the last couple of years, you know, I think that is a market that will significantly open up the opportunity set for for active managers to 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 enter the ETF market. At the moment, it's only U.S. managers that that, that can offer that, but um, the, the the reality is that if if you're um, if you're well positioned, work closely with the advisor. Work closely with your with your issuer. You know the. I, I don't. You know I don't think there's any reason why we, we we need to get a lower standard of service or a better standard of service necessarily. It's about just doing the work and, and understanding understanding the product. And that was going to be my next question was that with whether you considered the um, ETF issuer is that a factor in your screening process? You know, do you have a concern about the probity of the ETF issuer? Uh, it's, it's definitely not a factor in our screening process. Um, at, at the moment, you know, the, the world of active ETFs is, is still fairly small um, and, and growing, so we can go through through these ETFs almost one by one. Um, but the reality is, you know, if you find an issuer or you find a, 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 an advisor to the ETF that you've never heard of before or something new in a, in a prospectus, then, then you would have to look a little bit deeper into it. Um, it's, not a, it's not a screening criteria and there's never a, a, a blanket yes or no. Um, but, you know, if you come across a familiar name that you've done due diligence on in, in the past and it's a, it's a well-recognized institutional participant in, in the industry, then then you can probably safely say it's, it's safe to move on. And you've referred to the semi-transparent structure, which obviously is only available in America, but have you found that's worked well for you when you've invested in products that have it? Yes, yes. No, it's, look, it, it comes with a different set of risks, um, especially, and, but, but that is, those risks are, are mainly carried by the market makers and the authorized participants. And, and as a result, when you, when you do buy and sell in, 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 the, in the active uh, semi-transparent ETF, you will often find a slightly bigger spread. Um, but it's still, you know, it's still tiny compared to what you would pay for, you know, relative to, say, a management fee or, or, or an OCF in, 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 uh, in the traditional kind of mutual fund market. And, f- and for you, that's a good solution for giving you access to a fund manager who doesn't want to reveal a secret source. Is, is that the thinking? I, I said that that's, that's exactly the thinking. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if the, um, the stocks a manager is buying and selling is necessarily um, a competitive advice, a secret source. It's how they get to that point, right? That, that is, that's obviously where their competitive advantage sits. And, um, I, I've met many people that say that semi-transparent uh, or the lack of transparency is not a requirement for them, even though they are active managers. But the, 
by far the majority of the active management market would would you know they believe that um not showing the market on a day-to-day basis what they're buying and selling is their secret sauce and and as such you know this this change in in uh, in, in the rules by the SEC i think will open up a significant universe for for active managers to to really enter this ETF space and you know there's significant benefits to 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 us and and, and our clients um from a cost savings perspective from a liquidity perspective from a from a transparency or a price transparency perspective um ease of access so 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 generally speaking i i, I definitely think it's 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 a good it's a good step forward and Laurent, you mostly work in Europe, so I don't know whether you want to comment on semi-transparent ETFs, but have a go if you wish. One of the things, Beverly, that we're seeing certainly is, uh, I mean, Ernst, Ernstin is co- completely right. The, the US market offer uh, these semi-active strategies wrapped into an ETF, and we're going to see a lot more coming into the market soon, and certainly in Europe. And at the moment, I, I understand is is concerned that you know, he has to go to the U.S. to get, you know, decent exposure to a semi-active product. So, but the beauty, again, from an ETF is that they're low cost. So the reason why they do invest in such products is because they are able to offer, you know, a decent performance, semi-actively managed, decent transparency. Also, you've talked about the um, the property of, of the issuer, you know, we also feel that this is very important because uh, an issue is an active uh, fund manager who has a very good track record uh, will charge obviously a higher amount. So, you know, launching a, an active strategy in an ETF wrapper will have to be considered much lower in terms of cost, right? Because um, that's what these these products um, are, are designed to, to offer investors. So it's nice to see that at the moment, this market is is evolving, and we're seeing a lot more uh, uh, active management coming into this space, and also that is going to have a result on in price compression. So I reckon we're going to see a lot more coming into Europe because there's a lot of investors who have very good, a uh, very decent and transparent active strategy that we want to wrap into an ETP. Because the name of the game here is AUM, right? If uh, if you're going to launch an ETF and you don't reach critical mass, then your your ETF may not be um, commercially worthwhile. So you want to have a good strategy. You want to have good market makers in difficult times. And at the same time, you want to have property with the ETF issuers. And let's just turn to crypto ETPs. I think right there, which is perhaps not not quite the place you want me to start. But Ernst, do you use crypto or digital asset ETPs? We 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 have not we we've not um, gone down that route. To to be honest, Beverly, um, it's it is a very interesting space. I think the um, the digital asset markets are are, are very attractive. Um, you know, from a long term. Uh, innovation perspective, um, we're not sure who's the winners and who's the losers. Um, we're not 100% sure what is the best way to maximize the opportunity. Um, so, so from that perspective, we've not um, we've not taken any exposure into any you know direct cryptocurrencies or or any of the players within that ecosystem. Um, I'm not I'm not sure whether we would go down that route if we buy a cryptocurrency. Uh, an ETP um, makes sense, but at the same time, a lot of our investors, you know, we would probably 
recommend them to open a wallet and, and do it themselves. You know, that, that's also a, a, a route to access if you're... But that's a challenge, Ernst, you see. That's, you know, asking your, your investor who knows very little about what a wallet is, you know, might, might complicate the matter even worse. And then they might say, listen, this is too hard for me. I'm not going to touch it. An ETP actually offers that solution. You don't have to worry about it. The issuer takes care of all of it. All the risk associated to creating, opening a wallet is going to be given to you at a premium, uh, obviously, but it will be there for you. And this can be done in an ETP wrapper. Oh, I completely Europe. agree. I completely agree. I, I guess, you know, I was speaking about if you manage money for family office, um, you know, then then it, it, they just have to open up one wallet and it's one client with, you know, a couple of, you know, tens of millions. It, but when you go into the wholesale market and you manage a model portfolio for, you know, hundreds of clients following the same model, then definitely the ET, ETP structure makes makes complete sense. I was just going to compliment what Ernst was saying. We, we're in touch with many family offices who've had actually this experience of opening wallets and they find it quite daunting. I mean, it's it's a huge risk for them. You know, you have to have internal controls. You've got to report to the board because anyone could go rogue with, uh, with, with a wallet. With an ETP, you see, not only we take care of all of this as an issuer, um, and at the same time, you're getting a, a pretty decent strategy. So there's quite a lot of products out there in Europe. Obviously, Europe is leading the way uh, much more than the US on that front, mainly because of regulatory challenges you see in the US. But in, in Europe, you have you know, a multitude of issuers, a multitude of uh, single assets and, and basket strategies. And I wouldn't be surprised if before long we're going to see active strategies in the crypto space too. And we, I'm sure we are. In fact, I, we do have, don't we? I'm certain you'd be behind them, though, if they, we did have them. So you must know. There's one in Switzerland today, yes, but it's it's not really getting the credit it deserves. Oh, well, that's uh, with it. right here. You heard it here first. I'm going to finish. Um, we've got a few minutes left. I'm just going to ask you, first of all, Ernst, you still hear this um, sort of cry from the traditionalists saying that ETFs could be the cause of systemic collapse in the markets. I mean, do you think that is? the case I, I i don't i would not necessarily blame etfs um for for the systemic risk i but i do believe that the risks are there but it's it's more a function of um i i guess a one-sided trade and and it's more the growth of passive investing rather than specifically etf investing you know the the, the traditional mutual fund market uh passive mutual fund market is, is the same size as the ETF market. Right? So there's trillions and trillions of dollars invested into, into index funds that's, uh, that is in traditional structures. So, so I, I think the risk is, is, in, is in the passive allocation and how the market manages the liquidity and price discovery um, when, when all of a sudden everyone realizes they have to kind of sell their S&P 500 exposure. Uh, you know, if that happens at the same time, I mean, price discovery will fall off a cliff and you can imagine the outcomes. Um, but that's not necessarily an ETF um, characteristic. And, and the beauty of an ETF, one could argue, is the fact that you can you can exit significantly quicker. Right? There's multiple kind of valuation points during the day. You can go on to the secondary market, you can sell your exposure and, and, and move on. Um, where within traditional mutual funds, because it's priced once a day and you can execute once, you know, once a day, it's it's um, it is slightly a uh, slightly bigger risk. And and you, Laurent, Ernst is completely right there because ETFs are proven and tested. Otherwise, you wouldn't be trading them today, right? So this it shows that this market as is worthy 
of its reputation and they are doing what they say they're doing. Now, of course, you know, in volatile markets, uh, you know, ETF may actually distort a little bit. And we've seen this, right? I mean, we've seen this not so long ago uh, with the old contract ETFs where they went negative and that's caused some of the issuers to liquidate these uh, these these funds. And that's not been very good for investors. Uh, we've seen it also during the um, financial crisis in 2008, where, um, you know, the likes of high yield uh, ETFs have, have actually uh, been under tremendous pressure where, uh, as you may know, the uh, the high yield market is driven by uh, investment banks. And if they can't price uh, an investment uh, grade product or a high yield product, the, the ETF itself uh, will be distorted. And that's caused a lot of issues to market makers. But I have to say that even during those stress tests and those, those severe crisis moments, the ETF has held and has actually grown in size in an area where we we've seen unprecedented investment. Uh, and and again, the, the the lovely thing about it, as Anne's mentioned, is that you can go in and out at any time. Uh, but one one thing I will raise though in one of his comments is that yes, if there are many redemption in an ETF, uh, that would create you know some. Um, market dis discrepancies uh, between the, the product and the underlying asset. But you would see this in the mutual fund as well if everyone were to sell at once, right? So at least what we can say is that from an exchange-traded perspective, ETFs have done exactly what they've been asked to at a very low cost. Thank you. Thanks for that, Laurent. And do you want to add anything final on that? And no, 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 nothing. You put it well. Laurent did put it well. Yeah, did put it well. I think it's a good way to end. Okay, well, look, thank you so much to you both for being my guests on our um, Off the Record from ETF Express. And I want to thank the audience for listening. Off the Record is brought to you by ETF Express in partnership with Trust Edge, providers of front, middle and back office software and services to ETF issuers. Production by Imogen Rostron and Lisa Hines and music by Otto Balfour. Thank you to our guests on this episode of Off the Record from ETF Express and to you for listening. We look forward to you joining us next time.